0: I'd like to just thank Josh and Chris and Matthew for having Becca and I here. Thank you, Matthew, for opening the pulpit to me this morning as a great honor. And we have already been blessed by you and your ministry to us. So thank you. Thank you. Would you open your Bibles to Daniel chapter seven? Daniel chapter seven, verses thirteen through 14. These verses are a picture of hope. Daniel writes, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Amen. My brother was an army medic. In 2010, he was deployed to Afghanistan, and out of many horrible and difficult things that he witnessed in Afghanistan, one thing captured his attention as a picture of hope, and I'm very glad he wrote home and told us about it. Well, on patrol one day in his armored vehicle, he was driving down a dusty road, and he caught a glimpse out the window very briefly. There was a stack, a mountain we could say, of razor wire. Army razor wire, so the kind that's going to keep terrorists from getting into your base, the kind that's going to damage you very much if you tangle with it. And there was a mountain of this wire on the side of the street, and it was stacked in such a way that there was a small little bubble, if you will, of open space. In that space, there was a sheep, a dingy sheep, an old sheep, tattered, with nowhere to go. The sheep was stuck in the midst of this razor wire with no way out. The sheep faced an impossible situation. In that moment, though, my brother also saw something else, or someone else, rather. He saw an old Afghan man in a robe down to his feet, in flip-flops, climbing up onto the razor wire very carefully. He was putting himself at great risk because if he slipped in the wrong way, he was going to entangle himself in that wire. But he was risking his well-being to go and get that sheep. The sheep was waiting for that shepherd. Because of the shepherd, the sheep could wait. Because of the shepherd, the sheep had hope. If you're like me, you may often feel like that sheep this morning. Maybe you feel like you're surrounded by figurative razor wire with no way out. If you're like me, you're probably tempted to look and focus and obsess over the razor wire rather than the shepherd who's climbing up to help you, rather than the shepherd who's coming to get you and to help you. We're all going to face overwhelming situations in this life. It's hard when we look at the fallen, perplexing world and wonder how is God going to turn this for good? It's discouraging when we face recurring illnesses day after day, the loss of loved ones, financial struggles, or any number of difficulties. How overwhelming is it when we hear about our Christian brothers and sisters scattered across the world, persecuted for the name of Christ? And how hard is it when we face friends who reject us and say hard things behind our backs? How difficult to face the same persistent temptation day after day after day after day. The Bible addresses these things. The Bible says that we, God's people, are in exile. Exile as we wait for the king of to return, It would be good for us if we knew how to survive this exile. How not, not to give in. How not to cave in the midst of the struggles. How to survive and how to thrive in the midst of them. And that's exactly what the Old Testament prophet Daniel is writing to us about in chapter 7. The verses we just read. It's a picture of hope. Like my brother's picture of hope of that shepherd and sheep Daniel here is going to great pains to paint us a picture of someone named the son of man who will make all the difference in the world Daniel received and recorded this vision in this chapter verses we did not read before the verses of the son of man and it it presents a picture more like a nightmare in the first few verses of this chapter bad news Struggle, difficulty, confusion. But after that, Daniel comes to the verses we read this morning of the Son of Man. Daniel, in these verses, is kind of drawing curtains back for us to see what is reality, what is real, what is actually there when you get your eyes off of the razor wire, off of the difficulty. Because of the person we read in these verses, because of the person, the son of man, this true king, and because of his final victory, Daniel paints a picture that God's people have hope amidst the overwhelming world. There are two considerations, two things for us to look at this morning from these verses. The identity of the true king and the authority of the true king. And getting our minds wrapped and focused on these two things will make a difference in how we face all of our struggles, all of our difficulties, all of the overwhelming circumstances we will face. However we may feel right now, let me invite all of us, look at the shepherd. Look at this person we're going to learn about in these verses. Look at the true king. Let Daniel take us by the hand today and show us something great, someone great. Let's begin with a little background of Daniel. Daniel was a man who was familiar with trial, familiar with difficulty, familiar with struggle. About 600 years before Jesus was born, Daniel was taken prisoner from his home country, Taken prisoner from the southern country of Judah, of the people of God. He was taken by the Babylonian Empire, which conquered Judah, destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and took many people away as prisoners into exile. Daniel lived the duration of his adult life as an exile, serving the governments of Babylon and later Persia. In the midst of his exile, he lived faithful to God. And for that faithfulness, he faced opposition. Some of it was small, some of it was life-threatening. You remember, perhaps, the story of Daniel and the lion's den. Daniel wrote this book with true stories and prophetic visions, reminding God's people that in the midst of the chaos of history, God is sovereign, God is powerful, God is kind, God is good. And so we come to these verses today, one of those prophetic visions. Later in this same dream of chapter 7, Daniel will learn that what he has seen, he has seen four beasts in this dream that are coming out of a chaotic sea. We learn that these four beasts represent four kingdoms and really represent all opposition against God. He learns about earlier and later in this dream that these beasts are are kings and kingdoms who are opposing God's people, who are opposing the people God loves, who are killing them, who are harming them. And Daniel is perplexed. Out of these four beasts in this chapter... The fourth beast is a particular monster. He has an obsession to fight against God's people. We know in this dream and other verses that God is going to judge. God is going to come. God is going to render judgment against his enemies. And Daniel shows us in the verses we read this morning that he will do it through a figure known as the son of man. One like a son of man in verse 13. So this enters the hero. Here the hero enters the story, and this is our first consideration, the first point of this message, the identity of the hero, the identity of the true king who will make things right. Verse 13, let me read. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. The Son of Man would be the agent through whom God would bring victory for his people, through whom God would accomplish his purposes. And we might ask, who is the Son of Man? We should ask, who who is this agent? Who is this person Daniel was seeing who is coming from heaven? Perhaps you remember in the Gospels, perhaps you remember that Jesus used the title Son of Man over and over, and over, and over again about himself. Now the expression son of man, it could be used in other parts of the Bible simply to refer to a person. It could just mean a person. But Jesus used it in a special way. And Daniel uses it in a special way. At his trial, near the end of his life, Jesus said this, in Matthew twenty six sixty four, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds. In that verse, Jesus reveals to us, he is the Son of Man who Daniel saw in the clouds. He is God's agent. He is sent. He is the one to establish God's kingdom. He is the one to rescue God's people. Daniel's nightmare earlier in this chapter turns out for good because he is seeing the Son of Man who is actually Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior. So when our souls can make little sense of what's going on, when our souls can make little sense of the circumstances, we, like Daniel, need to look to Jesus, We have to fight to keep the things Daniel shows us here about our Lord and Savior. We need to fight to keep that front and center in our hearts. Jesus, the Son of Man, entered Daniel's nightmare and brought all of God's power. God the Father did not stand aloof. He did not just stand looking at Daniel in this trouble. He does not just look at us in our trouble. But God the Father sent God the Son, Jesus Christ, into the midst of the nightmare of this world to bring light. I love Galatians 2.20 where Paul reminds us. He says this. That Jesus loved me, speaking of himself, loved me and gave himself for me, and that is true for all of God's people. Jesus loved us and willingly gave himself for us, entering our nightmare, our sin. Jesus has already entered our very worst of conditions, the darkness of our sin. And he will continue to help us in all lesser struggles we face. Today we need to remember that Jesus has already faced the beast, the dragon, Satan, the devil. The Lamb of God defeated the dragon and he will defeat the dragon on the final day. But we know that he by dying on the cross, our king, our king of kings came to slay the dragon. Our king faced the devil so that we will never have to face the devil alone. So whatever beast we face in life, whatever lesser beast, whatever demonic oppression, whatever perplexing, overwhelming situation, whatever we're facing when we step out the doors of this church today, Jesus, our King, is with us and he will bring us through. The beast we face can't really do us ultimate harm because of Jesus. He rose from the dead He dealt with our sin. He reconciled us to God. Let that cheer our hearts today, no matter what we face. Daniel knows that this son of man, Jesus, he came with the clouds of heaven. This king, Daniel knew what kings looked like. He knew what great kings looked like. But this king, this son of man, is different than anything Daniel has seen before. He comes with the clouds of heaven. In the West, we have, we have a deceptive lie that's cripped into our imaginations. We think of heaven as a place where there are clouds, and we think of people sitting on those clouds playing harps. Maybe we think of little angels with little wings with bow and arrows sitting on clouds, floating around. That's not what Daniel has in mind with these clouds He does not have cute little angels in his mind because these clouds represent divinity, power. In the ancient times, ancient world, clouds were the sign of God's presence. Maybe you remember when God led the people of Israel out of Egypt he led them, the slaves, out of Egypt, and he led them by a pillar of cloud. Moses writes in Exodus thirteen twenty-one: The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud. Psalm 104, 3 says, The Lord makes the clouds his chariot. Isaiah 19, 1 says, Behold, the Lord is riding on a swift cloud. So when Daniel saw the Son of Man coming with the clouds, he received a picture of Jesus in power, in glory, with all the power of God. Only one who is God can ride and command the clouds. The fact that Jesus can ride them means that he has equality with God. One day he will return in power. One day he will come and he will fix all things we face. So take heart, Christians, in the midst of this world that Jesus will return. And he is greater than anything we face in this life. Not only is Jesus the son of man, truly God, but he is truly the perfect man. Notice in verse 13, The Son of Man comes to the Ancient of Days, comes before God and is presented before him. Daniel reveals that Jesus, the Son of Man, is able to stand in the presence of God. No sinner could dare to do such a thing. No mere man could do this without dying, without falling on their face and crumbling. But Jesus is no mere man. Jesus is the God-man and he is Perfect, he is righteous, he is holy, he has no sin of his own. He was the spotless Lamb of God, and he became as we are to deal with our sin. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 16 through 17 says, Surely it is not angels that he, Jesus, helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. When we're in the midst of trouble, when we're in the midst of temptation or struggle, we need to know we have someone who loves us, who's on our side, who understands us, and who can do something about our struggle, and that's Jesus He came to help. And we need to stir our hope this morning in Jesus Christ. This month I've been painfully aware of myself. Painfully aware that I am far too often preoccupied with myself. Maybe you can identify with me. It's as if I will hold a spiritual mirror up to myself almost constantly examining, looking in this mirror at myself, looking for some shred of worthiness or some shred of something to commend in myself, one moment. The next moment, despairing and distraught over all of the lack of worthiness, lack of goodness I see. And on and on it goes as I look into the mirror at myself. This is all because I'm looking here. All because I'm looking at me in the mirror, when I should be looking at Jesus through a telescope, when I should be looking at the majesty and the glory and the perfections and the holiness of my Savior, of our Savior, through the telescope of the gospel. The Holy Spirit is offering us the telescope this morning in Daniel 7. The Holy Spirit is offering us this telescope to gaze at Jesus Christ throw down the mirror if you are struggling with that today, as I so often do. One of our classes two weeks ago was really encouraging to me. It dealt with the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of what God did to save us. And that refreshed my soul in fresh ways. If you're struggling today, perhaps you need to think about that. Think about all that God has done in saving us his church, his people. Let that cheer your heart today. I'm encouraged to remember as we sing today, encouraged to remember we are forever united to Jesus Christ. We, his people, in such a miraculous way, will never relate to God apart from Christ. And Christ can stand before God. Christ is standing before God right now on our behalf, interceding for us. So you may have come in today with a degree of weariness. Maybe things are weighing on your heart this morning. Maybe illness is working through your family and exhausting your soul. Maybe last week was marked more by failure than success. Maybe a certain temptation got the upper hand again when you thought you'd beaten it. Maybe anxiety has possessed you more than the peace of Christ. Maybe your job has been more of a trial than you ever counted on. Maybe your dreams have become nightmares and maybe the headlines have caused anger, fear, worry, grief. Look to Jesus today. Let the radiance of the glory of God who made an an end to all of our sin, to all of our struggle, May he capture your attention today, the identity of who he is. There's an old hymn I like to sing called The Solid Rock. One of the lines says, when all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our stay because of who he is. Because of the authority that he alone possesses. I'm reminded as I think about this in the New Testament book of Acts. Where the first Christian to give his life. His name was Stephen. He gave his life for Christ. Because he was a faithful Christian. In his dying moments, this is what Stephen said. And it's recorded for us in Acts chapter 7. Stephen says that he saw the son of man standing at the right hand of God. That sustained Stephen in his dying moments as a Christian, seeing Jesus, the Son of Man, with authority in the presence of God. That sustained Daniel in the midst of exile. That will sustain us. So look to the identity of our King and look to his authority. That leads us to verse 14, our second consideration the authority of King Jesus. Daniel writes, and to him, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Powerful as the enemies earlier in this dream that Daniel dealt with were, powerful as they were, They don't compare to the king whom God is sending, to this king Jesus, the son of man, who will have dominion that will never be taken away. And we get a glimpse, we get a glimpse of this, Revelation 5, verse 13. John says that he heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. So kingdoms and rulers and troubles and trials, they may be strong now, but their power is limited. Christ's power is forever. The reign of chaos, the reign of confusion, and the reign of the curse in this world will not have the final word. We as Christians have to remember this today. Even our indwelling sin that we battle with day after day will not get the final word, but Jesus will. His kingdom will exist unrivaled forever, and no one can destroy it. No one can strip him of his authority. God has established him as king, and let all of us bow our knees to him. We have hope in the midst of the world because of this, because of him. The scripture tells us even now, Jesus is on the throne of heaven, sovereignly ruling. We have hope because of that. He is sovereignly ruling for the advance of the gospel, for our good. And one day soon, he will return in glory and he will set all things right. Now we trust, even as our feelings may may wonder, is he really in control? Now we trust that he is. We believe the scripture, and we live accordingly. Daniel says that this kingdom is given to the Son of Man, to Jesus, so that all peoples, all nations, and all languages should serve him. Should serve him. It's an interesting word, serve. If you look at that word in the book of Daniel, it often is attached to serving your God. Worshipping your God. Okay, and earlier in the chapter, you may remember the story of Daniel's three friends being thrown in a fiery furnace. And if you look at the words, it's because they would not serve the false gods, but they would only serve their God, the true God. And because of that, they were thrown in the furnace. When Daniel was thrown in the lion's den... It was because he would only serve his God. So we see here that God has prescribed that the Son of Man deserves the service or the worship of the nations. Our Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, has all authority. He deserves all worship. He deserves all adoration because he is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And God calls all people to worship him. And it's not enough for King Jesus to receive the worship of just one people group. He deserves people from across the globe to be among his worshipers. That's what we talked about last night and this morning. I'm so encouraged that we did. Thank you as a church for considering this. That across the globe, Jesus has people for whom he died that he desires to include into his worshipers. It directly touches our lives here in this church today because we're not all Jews. Perhaps none of us are Jews in this room. We're Gentiles from many different backgrounds, many different people groups for whom Christ died, for whom Christ brought us into his family, into his kingdom. In this room we see that today. And it doesn't stop in this room because there are still peoples, there are still nations, there are still languages across the world that have not heard the name of Jesus and do not worship Jesus as their Lord, as their King. It doesn't stop with us. We must take the gospel by God's grace to such people. John Piper says this, I love this quote. By his blood, he has ransomed Persons from every people group in the world, every tribe, every language group, every culture, every ethnic cluster. The reward of his suffering is the ingathering of the elect from all the peoples of the world. In other words, the blood of Jesus was shed not just to purchase your holiness and your zeal for good deeds, but the holiness and the good deeds of all the worldwide church of God including those sheep that are not yet in the fold. This is what drives us as God's people on mission. This is what drives us to take the gospel to our friends, to our enemies. Because Jesus has people whom he died for that need to be brought into the fold. We don't share the gospel because we need to earn grace. We share the gospel because we have grace We preach the gospel to the lost because we have been recipients of God's favor and we love Jesus and we want to see him glorified further by more and more people. Jesus desires for sinners to come to him and to join the throng of worshipers, joyfully serving, joyfully loving him. This is why we we can go and tell our non-Christian friends about Christ or perhaps our Muslim or Buddhist or Hindu neighbors about Jesus, what Jesus has done for us. This is why we could tell our non-Christian friends and family members again that Jesus died for sinners. Even when we've told them many times, we could tell them again with love, Jesus died for sinners and he will save those who believe in him and turn to him. So perhaps you're sitting here this morning I've heard about exciting things that God is doing at Kingsway. Perhaps you're sitting here this morning, though, and you are unsure about your soul. Perhaps you're unsure that you've responded to Christ. Perhaps you've heard about him your whole life. Maybe friends have told you about Jesus, but you've never truly believed in him yourself. Perhaps you've never turned away from your sin. Let me say this, too. All of us in this room who are Christians, we know that Jesus desires sinners to come to him. And so we can speak to you in this room who may not know Christ, that Jesus wants you today to come to him. He commands us to believe in him and to turn from our sins to him alone, to believe and to repent and to worship him. He welcomes every sinner who calls out to him in faith turning from their sin to love him. John says in Revelation 5, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth As we seek to be faithful, to take the gospel to people, to share Christ with people, there will be opposition. As we talked to our friends, missionaries last night who are doing this globally, they share prayer requests. There is opposition to the task of the church being faithful to what God has called us to do. Becca and I have neighbors. To illustrate that, we have neighbors who we, we live below, we're on the first floor, they're on the second floor, and the neighbors do not oppose us. That is not the point of this story. But their dog hates me. <laughs> they have a German shepherd, and he opposes me, I would say. Our neighbors have a very long leash for this German shepherd, so long that they can stand at the top of the stairs they're in the second story, and they can just let the dog go out. They just stay up there with their leash, and the dog goes and does his business, and then they bring him back. Well, I stepped out the door one day, and the timing was perfect. As I'm walking out my door, the German Shepherd is right there. Bark, 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 right in my face, me and my Chinese friend. The dog lunges. What, what do I do in this moment? And, and right before the dog gets up to us, the leash tugs. Oh yeah, praise the Lord. <laughs> praise the Lord. He could get close, but he couldn't get too close. The leash held. There are beasts in this world that will bark loud. There are beasts in this world that will oppose. Will get close. But they're on a chain. God is in control. Christ has all authority. So as we go out about our day, trust in Christ. Wherever we go, wherever God has placed us, as we busy ourselves, let us be busy helping other people to look to Christ, to see him for who he is. We are his messengers now to people. You as a church, here. Me and Becca for the present in Louisville, Kentucky. May we hope, overseas soon. Wherever God has placed as Christians, in our neighborhoods, in schools, families, among our children, among all who don't know him, we are the messengers. Let us proclaim Christ to them. May we proclaim his authority to all people. Daniel 7 is not the same as an epistle. These verses are not the same as Paul telling us about the gospel and then telling us about what we, how we should live in light of that. So applications not as clear as perhaps coming from the book of Ephesians or Colossians. But there are application points in Scripture. All Scripture is useful for our lives as Christians. And so as we try to think about applying these verses to us today, I hope it's been evident that we need to look to the Son of Man, look to Christ Behold who he is. Love him for who he is. And I pray these verses have stirred all of our hearts this morning, stirred our hearts in their affection for Christ. Daniel went to great pains to show us more about Jesus. And Daniel didn't have the whole picture, but we as Christians do. We have the whole word of God. Let us look to Christ and anchor our soul and our faith in him. Becca and I love the country of Turkey. We love the people. We love the place. One of our favorite places in Turkey is the ancient city of Ephesus to where Paul wrote the book of Ephesians. We've been there a number of times and one of the most moving things for me when we go there is visiting the site of an ancient temple. You You may have heard of the Temple of Artemis. Maybe not. I'll tell you a little bit about it. It's one of the ancient seven wonders of the world. It was a massive temple. So big that you could take four of our white houses in Washington, D.C. and put them right next to each other, and that would be the size of this temple. Massive. Every year there was a, a religious pilgrimage where half a million pilgrims would come from across the Roman world to come worship this goddess in her temple. It was a big deal in Paul's day. In the days of the early church, Paul went to Ephesus. He proclaimed the gospel. Churches were started in Ephesus. And people were getting saved in the shadow of this temple. And that made the businessmen of Ephesus quite angry. The idol makers had a good thing going for them. They would make silver idols of Artemis. And people trapped in this false religion would buy these idols. Well, when Paul shows up and the gospel expands in Ephesus, people started realizing we don't have to buy these idols anymore. The business began to tank for these men. And they got angry because the influence of the gospel was robbing them of their influence and robbing them of their money. So they led a riot. You can read about this in Acts 19. They led a riot against Paul and against Christians. For two hours, it says, they shouted. In one, one of the places in Ephesus, they shouted, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. They thought that having a pep rally, they thought that shouting about their goddess, they thought that doing this for two hours, they thought it would put her back on the throne, they thought it would get Jesus out of Ephesus, they thought it would drive the church away. They thought they could go back to their business of entangling people's hearts. They couldn't have made a worse mistake. It didn't happen immediately, But over the years, the temple, the great temple in their mind of Artemis, collapsed. Literally. A few years ago, Becca and I were standing at the site of that temple. And all that is left now is a swamp with one pillar standing. Empty fields around it. This temple and this goddess were not so great after all. But Jesus remains powerful. The gospel is advancing across the world. Jesus is on the throne and he has all authority. He is overcoming the power of hell for the sake of his church. The Son of God became man He died on the cross. He bore our guilt and sin. He rose from the dead and he reigns from heaven now. Receiving our prayers, receiving our cries and forgiving sinners. Because he is mighty, because he is worthy, because he is glorious and powerful. We have hope in the midst of chaos. Just like that temple Artemis that seemed so great but really wasn't. Today, look to Jesus. Today, worship Jesus. Help someone else in your life to do the same. Father, thank you. Thank you for your mercy on us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Daniel giving us this picture. Lord, as we leave here, as we go about this week, stir our hearts with affection for Christ that can only be explained as your spirit working, encouraging us. Lord, save people through our testimonies this week, this year. May you be glorified. Thank you for Kingsway. I pray your hand of blessing would be on this church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.